Welcome to the Nourish, Eat, Repeat podcast, helping people who want to improve their health and change their mindset around food so they can live the life they were designed and called for. I am your host, Adrian Delgado, and in this podcast, I'll give you step-by-step action plans to reach your health goals, as well as my favorite recipes I know you and your family will enjoy. Let's get started. another episode of Nourish, Eat, Repeat. Today we have a very special guest on the episode, which I'm really excited for you to meet because we had a really fun conversation leading up to taping this podcast. So I know you are going to love our guest as much as I do. Uh, Today we have Mary Catherine Labassiere on our podcast. Mary Catherine is a registered dietitian and the owner of Defy Nutrition. Mary Catherine started her career working in obesity and diabetes while earning her master's in public health. She then transitioned to working in behavioral health where she further learned about the connection between nutrition and mental health. Mary Catherine opened her practice and is on a mission to help individuals elevate their nutrition and eat like human beings so that they can ditch their fads and live happier, healthier lives. In her free time, she loves being active and exploring the outdoors with her husband and their dogs. Mary Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on here. So before we get into our conversation, because I have lots of questions, um, tell us a little bit more about yourself, uh, just so our listeners can learn more about you. Yeah, so I loved nutrition from a young age. I was actually a former competitive athlete for many years. Um, got into that experience being on both sides of the weight spectrum from struggling with overweight obesity to struggling with an eating disorder, and then finally finding the middle ground. And I just love helping others achieve that middle ground approach as well. So what did you compete in? As a tennis player. That's so funny. (laughs) Yeah. So I I was fortunate enough to play at college, but then I really haven't continued playing it after college. I kind of just stopped. Do you still play? Uh, no, I haven't played in years. I played through college and then like grad school hit and it kind of just went downhill from there. So, but I still love it. US Open, you know, all the Grand Slams watching those every year gives you a little bit of FOMO, but I don't, I don't play currently. Hopefully again soon though. Yeah, I went, my one uh, son was playing uh, for a little bit and it was fun because of course I think I'm still 20 and so <laughs> you know I go up to like slam a serve and I'm like I think I just ripped my shoulder out of his <laughs> socket so <laughs> it's funny yeah. how you think you know you, you don't remember yourself getting older you think you can just get right back into that competitive play Yep, that's exactly it. I have recurrent shoulder stuff. And so I was going to get back into it. And then I tried a motion. I was like, hmm, maybe I can't swing the racket like I thought I used to be able to. So yeah, I'm thinking pickleball might be my new thing, right? I know. I've been thinking that too. It's so popular. Yeah, I've never played yet. So I'm excited. And like, well, it's a short game. And I love like the quick, fast pace of that. So, Mm -hmm. um, so I'm excited to try that. So and I know that you do not live close to me, so I guess we will not be playing pickleball together. Yeah, probably not, unless they have some type of virtual pickleball. We can we can just invent it, and it'll yes. be great. There we go. 
So I can't help but notice in your bio, you talked about eating like a human. So I would love for you to talk about this more because this just makes me laugh. Like, what does that even mean? Yeah, so I coined this phrase a couple of years ago when I was really tapping into who my ideal audience was and what they wanted. And what I came up with was eating like a human being. And when I say that, what I mean is, we're not just bogged down in all this tracking and counting and measuring, but, and we're also not, you know, that super restrictive mindset either. And we're also not the other end where everything is just kind of free reign. We're eating like a human in that we're trying to fuel our bodies, but we're also acknowledging the emotional, the cultural, the social connection that food brings. So, you know, it's nourishing our bodies, but also realizing like, Hey, I can get ice cream with my husband and kids tonight, or, you know, this, um, family occasion centers around this one food. And I'm not going to feel bad about eating this food that is quote unquote unhealthy. And so really eating like a human being is acknowledging the human experience that we bring to mealtimes. It's not just nutrition hundred percent of the time, but it's also that connection we have to food as well. Yeah. And I think that's what makes nutrition so complicated right? Like it's, we're trying to make it very binary. Like it's, you know, eat healthy foods, don't eat this, eat this, don't eat that. Right. But it's so much more complex. There's so many more layers. And when you start including things like, you know, family and socializing and culture and everything like that, it just feels complicated. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely does. And I mean, that's part of what inspired my brand to define nutrition is defying the diet rules, not feeling stuck in this way. Again, eating a human being, defying these rules, but also just striving to defy yesterday's you, just trying to be 1% better than you were yesterday. But again, acknowledging that you're human, like you have to enjoy what you're eating and what you're doing and how you're moving to really you know, be your healthiest self because that's where you find that enjoyment and satisfaction and sustainable lifelong changes. So- Mary Catherine, why do you think we got so far removed from eating like a human? Like, where did the breakdown begin? I was thinking about this when you first asked this question and let me know you were going to ask me this. And I don't know that I have a single answer. I think there's, there's a lot there, right? Like from a young age, we're primed. It doesn't matter if you're hungry. If you're not hungry, this is your meal time during your school, right? The bell rings, I have to eat. Otherwise, I don't get to eat until I get home. So there's this kind of conditioning that's happened over time where we've stopped listening to if we're hungry or full. We are really kind of dictated, our, our schedule dictates, you know, whether we're eating or not. So I think, you know, that's part of it. I think there's, you know, decades and decades worth of diets you know, fat used to be bad. Now fat is everything and the keto diet, right? Like there's a lot of mismatch, a lot of trends. And I think we're so desperate for immediate satisfaction, uh, immediate change that we kind of cling on to whatever is there. And we forget that we have to enjoy what we're doing at the same time. Do you, do you feel like we're doing a better job of educating people at this point, like through different movements and intuitive eating, all those different practices that are out there now. Do you feel like people are starting to, to get that? Or do you think we're still really far removed from where we need to be? 
I think we've made a lot of progress. I think it's not just us educating, but you know, how people are receiving that as well. And I think even in my own practice, I've seen a shift where I have more people coming to me saying that they want to improve their relationship with food. And that phrase is one that I think is pretty new. I mean, comparatively to decades of dieting, right? It's pretty new to say like, I don't really have this great relationship with food. I feel a lot of guilt. I feel a lot of shame. I feel like I have to restrict or I binge on whatever that food is. So I do think that we are making progress. And I think, you know, there's always going to be a way to go. Um, I'm, you know, got that tennis player mindset, competitive athlete mindset of you can always be a little bit better, but I don't think that we can just breeze by all the progress we've already made. So how would you approach somebody if they, if they asked you that exact question, like how do, how do I improve my relationship with food? What are some practical ways that we can, we can get there? Yeah. So I take a really individual approach. I think there's some kind of general themes that we can look at, but each person is going to be different. I think it's important that we acknowledge that part of it. Um, first, I always, you know, ask what, what does that mean to you? Because, you know, that, that phrase is kind of buzzwordy at this point for, for some places that I see it. And I think it's important to first define what that even means. So for some people, it means that, I eat healthy all day, but then at night I'm out of control. For other people, it means every time they eat any type of food, they only think about the the quote unquote bad or unhealthy qualities of the food. So first I really challenge people to understand like what that means to you. And then also envision what it would look like to, you know, repair that relationship. What does that even mean? Because each person's experience is different. And so, you know, we can't just say, okay, this is what a good relationship with food looks like because it's just so individual. So defining what it looks like to be, you know, not a great relationship, defining what it looks like of how you want to get there and then challenging the kind of frameworks in place that are fueling the poor relationship. So for example, using the words good and bad, that um, dichotomy, that black and white, you know, those, it's either this or it's that, like it's too um, stringent a lot of times. And we're thinking about how do we eat like a human and like, accept that we can eat all these different things in moderation. And so, you know, I really ask people to challenge like, well, what makes ice cream bad? Or, you know, what makes applesauce good? And really understanding that there's a lot of gray area. And I think for a lot of us, we're not comfortable with gray. Like we want the black and white. That's where it feels safe. Um, and so really just challenging those, those terms. And for a lot of clients when I'm working with them, I also challenge them. I work with a lot of moms, a lot of parents. And I say like, how do you want your kid to perceive this? Like, how would you talk to your child about this? And I think a lot of times it's easy to be tough on ourselves, but it's harder to impart that same toughness on our kids or our best friend, whatever it might be. So just asking like, how would you speak about this? you know, to someone other than yourself that you care about? And do you want to kind of continue this or is is this a cycle you might want to interrupt? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to go back to, I just appreciate so much that question of, well, what do you think this looks like? What does this mean to you? Uh, It brings me back to a a client I just had a couple of weeks ago where the mom 
you know, started to notice that her daughter, her, I think she think she was around 12 or 13, was starting to make different food choices and, and not be so happy with herself. And, you know, her mom's like, um, you need to help fix her relationship with food. And I was like, oh, okay, hold on a sec. That's a very broad statement. So it's like, again, like you said, buzzworthy. It's something that we hear people say like, oh yeah, my, I need to fix my relationship or my kid needs to fix their relationship with food. But that is not just, uh, oh, okay. Well, here are the three things you do. Like that mm -hmm. means something very different to every person. So first figuring out and defining it for them to see, is that even, what is the root cause of the problem? What are those limiting beliefs? Yeah. And I mean, even if you think about it, if you take food out of it for a second, right? If you think about a healthy relationship, each person has a different perspective of what that is and what they need. You know, if you have someone who prefers more introvert time, then from a relationship, they might not need to be with that person 24 seven. And, you know, if you have someone who's more extroverted, they might need more of that, right? Like there's other ways to think about it too, where like, we can't just put this one size fits all definition on there. Like you're saying, it is just so individual of what each person, you know, means by that and what they need to change about it. Yeah. So we mentioned that in that eating like a human allows for you to appreciate and include some of the complexities of nutrition. What are some other key components of eating like a human? Are there any other facets that that you include in that definition <laughs> or in that coin topic phrase? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's kind of everything. It's like, you know, honoring the culture that you are in, trying new foods. Um, we're a military family, we move a lot, which means we get to try a lot of different things. And I could look at it and say, oh, this is not, you know, quote unquote healthy. Again, those good, bad terms. Or I could say, no, like this is part of me exploring and adventuring, right? So I think there's this kind of cultural, I think there's a social, and then there's an emotional connection too, right? Like we say comfort food and it's comforting for a reason. And, you know, stress eating, emotional eating, that's part of being human too. I mean, a lot of us, even if you're stressed, some people will eat more, some people will eat less, few people eat about the same, right? Um, but it's just acknowledging that like, it's okay to have these different experiences in that way you feel like it's, you know, sustainable. So not just your, you know, I'm going out, but also your, your internal kind of mechanisms, emotions around that as well. So let's, let's sit with stress eating for a little bit, because this is something that a lot of, a lot of clients, a lot of listeners, a lot of people struggle with where, where do you think, and I don't know if you know the answer to this, but like you said, some people eat more, some people eat less. Why? Like, cause I tend to eat more when I get stressed out. Why didn't, when I was four, did I not choose to eat less and go down that path instead? That feels like that would have been an easier path, you know, but yet, you know, so why do you think that is, or, or what is the reason behind it? I mean, on the physiological level, right, we've got alteration in hormones, right? We can have higher cortisol levels that can lead us to crave higher fat, higher sugar foods. Um, and so for some people, that's how our body responds to it. For other people, when we're in this like fight or flight mode, you know, we want to preserve, we don't want to focus our energy on other things like eating. We want to focus on whatever the major stressor is at hand. So it's not just necessarily 
a choice, even though there's steps we can take to try to have better control over stress eating, it's also happening at that like physiological level as well. Do you think some of it is learned as well, like based off of like your family members, how they handled stress and watching them go through it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, we're kind of trained from a very young age to use food and in any type of coping, right? Like we're talking about stress eating now, but you go to the dentist, you survived. Okay. You get ice cream after, or, well, if you come in with to me in with me to the bank, you get a lollipop. I don't know if they do that anymore, but they always did when I was growing up. Um, or, you know, you had a tough day, let's eat, you know, pizza instead of making a meal, right? Like there's a lot of things that I think are very generational and learned over time. Um, and just observing as well. If you're in a household where it's common, I had a long day, I'm going to grab a bag of chips and I'm just going to sit in front of the TV. Then it's a lot more likely that you are going to mirror that behavior later on too. Yeah. So what are some of your suggestions for stress eating? Because I think, I mean, I can speak to my own, my own experiences and I do. Sometimes I stress eat. I try not to stress eat. I, I definitely don't stress eat as much as I did, say, 20 years ago. Um, but when you're in that moment, right, I am not thinking, I am stress eating. I should, you know, maybe I should come up with an alternative activity. It's almost like you're in an altered universe. And then afterwards, I realize, ah, why did I do that? I, I didn't want to do that. Why is that awareness only available after and not before or during the stress response? Yeah, I think that's tough. I think there's a lot of reasons, right? If we have, if you think about it, you know, if you're at a concert, there's a lot of noise. It can be harder to hear the person next to you. So if you're in this moment of stress eating, when all that noise is all the stress around you, it can be harder to listen to your you know, your um, own emotions and acknowledge that kind of internal conversation, so to speak. Um, so I think that's, that's part of it. I do believe that we can have greater awareness over time, you know, working in this area. I also, I'm a stress eater. Chocolate is my go-to. Um, and so for me, it's more obvious now, even if I'm only a couple bites in, like, actually I wasn't hungry. I just grabbed this because I'm feeling, you know, whatever, void it might be, or I'm trying to chill out, or I'm so stressed that I want to procrastinate whatever I'm doing next by eating. Um, so I do think that there's an opportunity to become more aware, but I think in general, a lot of us, we also just don't slow down. We're moving so fast, hundred miles an hour all the time, juggling all of our responsibilities, doing all the different things that I usually encourage clients to just practice the pause. You know, it's a really simple phrase. I had it on my background for a while when I was going through a lot of stress in my life. And it was really helpful for me to just slow down once in a while. And I think if we can tap into that ability to slow down, which I think is hard for a lot of us, that can bring more awareness to it as well. So give me a couple examples of what that looks like, practicing the pause. Can you give like throughout the day, how can one do that? Yeah. So one easy one I like to do is when I know I'm on a mission to eat something because I'm stressed, my pause is usually in front of the pantry of what am I going to eat? And that itself is kind of a created pause. So, you know, that's an example of I'm trying to decide what to eat, 
but is it because I'm hungry or because I just need something? You know, there's other ways you can build it in more intentionally, right? If you have lunch every day at 1130, maybe you pause before you start your meal. And that way you start to get in tune with yourself at scheduled meal times, so that when these more kind of random stress eating episodes happen, you're more likely to be more in tune because we started with something more regimented. Um, even if you're waiting in the drive line, um, the pickup line at school, you know, you're sitting there, that can be a way to just pause for a few seconds. So there's ways we can build it in. And then there's ways that when we go to grab that food, just that moment of decision-making can, can create a pause as well if we're intentional about it. Do you have any good suggestions for how to remember to do the pause? Because I think that's the hardest part. Like, yep, that sounds good. I'm going to do it. And then we get into those moments and it's as if we've never heard of this concept before. Yeah, that's a tough one. Each person is different. So for some people, they do really well with like a timer reminder, like, hey, at 1130, when you eat lunch, this timer is going to go off to remind you to breathe. Um, you know, Apple watches have the breathe reminder that can be your practice, the pause. Um, I really love if we're thinking about how we can build it in intentionally in more of like a routine manner. I really love what James Clear talks about in his book, Atomic Habits, which is habit stacking. So stacking a new habit onto an existing one. So just to make an easy example before we get into the pause part, like if you brush your teeth every morning and you want to drink more water, your new habit, drinking more water, could be stacked onto your existing. So every time you brush your teeth, you drink water in the morning. So if we're thinking about practicing the pause, it could be every time I, you know, park in the pickup line, that's, you know, the habit that's going to happen regardless. My new habit is going to be breathing for 30 seconds, right? That can, that itself can be hard enough to just deep breathe for 30 seconds. Obviously you can build up from there, but even just starting with something small um, and, and going from there. And then I have other clients who are visual. So bright post-its or printed out things on their fridge or their pantry door as more of that visual reminder for them. Okay. Yeah, I love the, all those recommendations because... I, I think I'm a hybrid of both. Like I need the sticky notes, but then I also try to stack habits um, mm -hmm. because it just makes things, it's just, it's easier, right? You, like you said, yeah. you're already doing something already. Um, what do you think is, how do we, well, how do I want to phrase this? How can we bring more awareness to our eating habits? So I noticed some of my clients when we were, I've had a conversation uh, with them about their, their maybe eating at night. And I was like, Oh, it sounds like some stress eating. They're like, no, I'm not stressed. And then we start to have more conversation and they were like, wow, I didn't even realize I was stress eating or emotional eating or boredom eating. What are some suggestions on how to bring awareness to our habits? So we know what to, to change or what to put sticky notes for so we can change it. Yeah. Yeah. Again, everyone's different. What I'll say works for some of my clients is even just doing an inventory of where you're at before you start eating, whether it's a meal or a snack. So, you know, how am I feeling right now? You know, are, am I feeling happy? Am I feeling sad? Am I feeling bored? And a lot of us, again, we have so much noise around us that we 
we kind of tap out. We don't really necessarily have that self-awareness as much. Um, and it, it's really takes a lot of effort sometimes, I think. Um, but that, you know, in itself is a strategy of how can you remove some of the noise? You know, the TV's on, the phone's in your hand, you know, the music is playing, right? There's all these different distractions around us. And I think if we allow ourselves to just sit for a minute, and, you know, understand like where, where we're even starting, that's, that's a big thing. So instead of, you know, grabbing the full bag of chips sitting in front of the TV, what if we turned off the TV while we went and got our snack, put our snack in a smaller bowl, right. And then came back and was like, okay, now I can watch TV. Even just that, you know, two minute interruption to just kind of listen to your own thoughts can be helpful for some people. And I think for others, um, it's, it's understanding hunger versus habit too. And I think it's not just the emotion around it, but understanding and listening to our bodies. Like, am I actually hungry in this moment or am I getting, you know, this popcorn ice cream because I'm so, you know, used to enjoying this with my family watching movies at night. And I think that is a really hard differentiator. I like to use the hunger fullness scale, but I also give the caveat that it's a great scale. It's a really great tool. But for a lot of us, we are kind of tone deaf sometimes to if we are hungry or if we are full. And that just goes back to kind of this training we've had over the years of, you know, I can eat at this time or I can't eat at this time. And we kind of forget what it even feels like sometimes to, you know, have that hunger, or have that letter level of satisfaction after a meal. Have you heard the news? We started a brand new membership program called My Nutrition Coach, and you're invited to join. At Body Metrics, most of our clients come to us through their medical health insurance plan. Unfortunately, most insurances don't offer enough sessions to see big results. And some plans, they don't cover nutrition services at all. At Body Metrics, we are passionate about helping our clients see results and making nutrition accessible to everyone. That's why we created My Nutrition Coach, a program that offers education and accountability between one-on-one -on -one sessions and an affordable option for those without coverage. Inside the membership, you'll get access to weekly teachings, nutrition-focused goals to work on, recipes, a private community page for support, a video resource library, and an opportunity to ask questions to a real dietitian. This helpful program is available right now for only $9.99 a month, or $99 if you sign up annually. But it's important to us to make sure we're a good fit for you, so we're offering a special 30-day free trial if you sign up now. To start your free 30-day trial, simply go to bodymetricshealth.com and click on the Programs tab. There, you will see my nutrition coach. Simply click for more information and to join. We can't wait to see you inside the membership. So I think for me as a dietitian, some of the things that I teach my clients is to recognize that just because you have a thought about food doesn't necessarily mean you're truly physically hungry, right? Mm -hmm. Like we just think, oh, I should get a snack means my body is hungry. I should go get a snack, but maybe it's just the thought I saw a commercial and that food looked good. So now I want to have an eating experience too. That thought is separate than a true hunger signal. Mm -hmm. So I think this would actually be a really good time to review what 
our hunger signals versus just habits or thoughts? Yeah. So, you know, I think what I like to say too, building on what you just talked about is appetite is that mental, that, you know, thought process, whereas your hunger is your physical. So your physical is like your stomach is growling. Um, hopefully you're not hangry, but if you get to that point where it's been a while since you eaten food, you're like, you might feel a little bit more, you know, weak or shaky or tired again, hopefully you're not getting to that point, but those are all signs of hunger as well. Um, that kind of empty stomach feeling, you know, those, those physical attributes. And, you know, if we're thinking about fullness, if we're thinking about that mental side is satisfaction. So I can be full, but I cannot be satisfied at the same time. So my stomach physically might not have any room left in it, but if I ate a meal, let's say you don't like salads, you ate a salad, you're full, but you weren't satisfied because you don't like salads, then you're going to go back for more because of that mental piece of it, that satisfaction piece that you're craving. So there is a difference in understanding, you know, those attributes I think is really important of, you know, am I having the thought, like you said, or is my body physically telling me that it's time to refuel? Or that a need hasn't been met and we need to... Um, refocus. So I always say there's, we got to have physical satisfaction and we got to have emotional satisfaction, mm -hmm. right? And when those two are met, it will, can be ultimately a satisfying meal. But if one of those aren't met, it, there might be a desire to go back and eat more. Yep. So figuring out what does that mean? Because like you said, diets don't allow for that. It's just, this is what you can eat in this mm -hmm. amount. I don't care if you really like it or if you don't like it this is what's going to help you be successful. And then we wonder why we can't stick with these diets because we hate it. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly it. Like talking about eating like a human being, right? Like you could get this, you know, standard meal plan somewhere that says eat your chicken, broccoli, and brown rice. And if that is not enjoyable to you, then you're probably going to eat something else after dinner because it didn't fill that emotional cup that you, that you needed. So Yes, you might hit, you know, calorie and macro targets, but if you're not that emotionally, mentally satisfied, you are going to go back for more. Um, and that's understanding that's another level of self-awareness too. So does eating like a human, does it talk about the types of foods you're eating at all, or is it just more about the way you're eating and your choices? So for me and my practice, what I really like to talk about is informed eating. So we're not being, um, it's really a middle ground between intuitive eating, where we're listening to those hunger fullness cues and really, um, you know, eating everything, all foods fit that approach. And then between intuitive eating and more of like calorie counting, macro tracking, um, measuring more restrictive mindset. So when I talk about eating like a human being, for me, it's informed eating. It's making those better choices 80% of the time, but also allowing yourself that 20% of the time to have the normal experience that you have as a person, as an individual in our world. So what does that look like then for food? Are there certain things that, that we should be focusing more on or, you know, how does that work into the average person's diet? Yeah. So for me, I would say, you know, like 
However, we can plan it that you're going to feel satisfied. So having a balance of protein, carbs, and healthy fats, having your fruits, having your vegetables, really focusing on those wholesome choices, um, and then having room for the other things too. So I think, you know, where I like to differentiate is, let's say, for example, let's talk about ice cream. I'll just throw out that example. You know, if we're thinking about this calorie counting size side, okay, I can have half a cup of ice cream. That's it. The end. If we're thinking of the intuitive eating side, that's more, I'm just going to eat this until I'm full, which could end up being a full carton, right? If we're thinking of the kind of informed eating, the eating like a human being, it's, I'm going to let myself, you know, have this amount, but I'm also going to know that past this amount, I'm probably not going to feel super great. And I don't mean in the terms of like guilt or shame or anything like that, but I might feel full. Like I might not feel comfortable after. And for that reason, I want to, you know, kind of limit this portion to this. And also maybe instead of having just ice cream, I'm going to add some like fruit and nuts on top of it to balance it out. So finding the gray. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Not being the black and white, but being that gray. Yeah. And also recognizing that gray is, also many shades and not every day is going to look like the same shade of gray. Right. Right. Exactly. So yeah. that's a hard idea to grasp. It is. Um, and I think a lot of people have trouble with that. I think, you know, in today's day and age, we want like a prescriptive eat this or don't eat that, or it feels more kind of all or nothing. Like I think a lot of us really struggle with this middle ground in everything, you know, not just food, but in a lot of different areas of life. And I think it's it can be hard and almost a little stressful sometimes to get to that gray space. But for me, what I use as kind of my motivation to really try to help people get to that point is, you know, going back to the beginning, when we were talking about their relationship with food, what does that look like to you in an ideal world? Like, what is a perfect relationship? Is it, you know, eating everything or is it not eating everything? Or is it feeling like I can eat everything, but I still have some sense of I'm, you know, choosing these few choices because of my own health, my own goals, you know, that side of things. So, you know, I think it's, it's can be a tough journey for some people, but I find that the clients who get to this gray space are the most satisfied and have the longest lasting results because they've not only made changes for their nutrition, but sustainable changes that work for their life and for their family. Do you think for somebody who's hearing this for the first time, it's like, okay, I get this. I hear you. I want to, my goal is to get to the gray. Mm -hmm. Can you start with being in the gray or do you need to start with some more structure with the goal of moving into the gray? Ooh, that's a good question. I think everyone's different. Like I have some clients who are like, nope, I want the black and white and maybe we can dabble in the gray in like six months and that's okay. And I have other people who don't have that same personality and are more willing to embrace it. And they're like, yeah, this sounds so much better than, you know, diets all the time. Um, and I, I think it really depends on the person, right? Like we all started different places and I don't know that there's a, a blanket answer to that. I think it's possible if you have the 
personality type for that. I think it's possible if you have fewer years of kind of yo-yo dieting. Um, I think it's, it's harder if you've got, you know, so many years of this diet, that diet, the other diet, because you're just so used to, you know, this is okay. And this is not okay. Um, but I really think it's an individual, uh, answer as far as where they can start. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think of my client who, you know, they may make a comment like, well, what do you eat? And so mm-hmm. I'll share with them. And they'll be like, well, that's okay for you because you're already like at your goal. But for somebody like me, who's so far away from my goal, I have to start at the beginning and be more strict. Mm-hmm. And I find that that, um, I don't know, I'm going to say a more closed mindset about that. Yeah. They do tend to struggle more. Um, and it just, it almost like prolongs the time until they get to that gray area because they're so focused on it looking one way or another and only that one way that we don't really get to the gray area because we always we're just messing up the black and white so much that we're tripping over ourselves and we're not getting to that so um I know for my practice too yeah you're right everybody starts somewhere different but I know for me I'm like I try to get you to the gray as quick as possible right Um, because the sooner you're able to embrace that middle ground mentality, the actually, the more relaxed you are around food, the more you notice you're not. So, um, you know, looking at food as the enemy or mm-hmm. as, uh, you know, this, this thing you're not allowed to eat, you know, I forget what word I'm looking for right now, but you know, the gray is like more chill. Yeah. And for some people, it's super easy. Like I had one client a couple of weeks ago who came to me and said, like, I want to lose, you know, a hundred pounds. And that was a reasonable goal for this person, you know, over time, not, not all at once. Um, and I, I said, okay. And so we were talking and I think for some people, it can almost be like a safe space of like, oh my gosh, I don't have to give up all of these things that I love. Like, I think if we approach it that way of, I can eat what I want to eat, just maybe change the portions or incorporate, you know, these other things. And it's, it feels like a sigh of relief. I have those clients where it's like, oh, you didn't tell me how to cut everything out. And I think that is what it's all about is just understanding, like we can all make small tweaks, but you have to also, you know, come to it, like you said, kind of an open mindset, right. About it. And then see this as, as an opportunity to not feel so stuck and like restricted and feel like the only way to achieve X goal is by doing this really severe, you know, diet. Yeah. And honoring the human experience, Mm -hmm. right? Like as, as humans, we do have our own tendencies and preferences of how we like to do things. So when we can honor that and let our clients know that, I see you, I see your preferences and I'm, I want to help you live your best life within that mm-hmm. scope versus no, actually it has to look this one way and everybody has to do it this way or you're not going to be successful. And yeah. I think that does provide a, a sigh of relief. Like, okay, like this is a much more sustainable plan than the one that the um, internet or social media told me yeah. I have to follow. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's, 
that's exactly it. And, you know, I think for some people getting to the grade faster can also look like focusing on the addition instead of the subtraction. So what can we add to your current diet, your current lifestyle, rather than making you feel like we're taking things away? So like that ice cream example, instead of saying eat less ice cream, I'm saying, hey, why don't you add some fruit and nuts on there? You're going to naturally decrease how much ice cream you're eating because you're going to be more full by adding other things there. But instead of focusing on that negative, that decrease, we're focusing on the positive, that addition. And let's just be real. Addition's easier than subtraction, right? So much easier. <laughs> right? Don't you remember those days of like elementary school when you'd get that fact sheet and it would be timed <laughs> and you had like a minute to answer as many as you yep. could? Like the addition page was always filled out to the bottom. The subtraction, you're like, hold on, I got to think about this. Yeah. It's like reverse math almost. You're like, hold yeah. on. <laughs> yes. Um, and I always know whenever I'd have to check my subtraction work, I would always work from the bottom and add because it was just easier. So yeah. I think we're more inclined for addition versus subtraction. And, and to know that there are ways to do that, honoring yourself, honoring the person you are as a human to be able to make responsible choices for yourself. Uh, I think that's ultimately the goal. Yeah, definitely. I agree. All right, Mary Catherine, so what would you say are your top three tips for somebody who's looking to eat more like a human? What would that be? So top three tips. One is going to be practice the pause, help yourself, you know, be more aware, build that self-awareness, acknowledging that it's going to come over time. Second is focusing on that addition, the positive. What can you add to balance things out today? And then third, and this one is probably the most challenging, is challenge those mindsets around food and what makes you feel like certain foods are good and certain foods are bad. Because if we can start to remove some of those labels and focus on balance instead, and remembering, you know, progress, not perfection, that kind of overused phrase. Uh, but if we can remember that, that can help us eat like a human and, you know, enjoy that process as well. Awesome. I think those are really practical tools that we can all use. And, and plus you've given us ways to implement them. Uh, so I think, I think this is really great. Um, Mary Catherine, where can we learn more about you and, and your, and your work? Yeah. So my website is defy-nutrition.com. And I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. So Facebook is just at defy nutrition and Instagram is at defy.nutrition. Got it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we always end every episode with a recipe because it's always fun to hear what everybody else is eating and what they're making and what works for them. So I was hoping you would have a recipe to share, maybe like a go-to snack idea or easy dinner, weeknight meal or favorite breakfast, whatever it may be, uh, something that we could all potentially try and add into our own um routines and, and lifestyle. Yeah. I'm a fan of quick and easy. I like to throw things together. Um, so one of my go-tos when it's just me and I'm just prepping for me, or I just want a lunch idea is a taco stuffed sweet potato. So taking a sweet potato, baking it, and then adding black beans, salsa, um, cheese, if you want it. And a little bit of, I usually just do cumin and paprika because I'm very basic, basic like that. But if you have a taco seasoning that you love mixing it all together um, and then eating it in the sweet potato. That's good to know. So if you don't want to make the whole taco seasoning and get all the ingredients out, the chili powder, the pepper, 
if we just stick with the cumin and the paprika, mm -hmm. you get the gist of it, right? That's what I do. I also love hot sauce. So I think oh, sometimes I'm even more lazy and don't put any spices and just use the salsa and the hot sauce for all my flavors. So it really depends on how much you like, but cumin is that kind of like smoky flavor that you get in the tacos and that paprika just kind of evens it out too. So um, seasoning level is up to you, but if you are feeling extra needing convenience, just doing some hot sauce and salsa is great. And then if you want it more complex, that taco seasoning works too. Well, I think that's just, like you said, it's a great even lunch idea when you're on your own and you just need to do something quick, but you don't feel like, you know, pulling out all the pots and pans and making this big ordeal out of cooking. This gives you so many good nutrients, gives you tons of fiber, some protein, get the good healthy fats in there, even depending on what you're making with your salsa. Um, mm -hmm. So great recipe. Thank you. And if you want to make it a little bit fancier, you can also mix in some like rotisserie chicken that's pre-cooked. Um, and sometimes I'll put broccoli on the side if I want some extra veggies. So lots of options to make it pretty versatile, versatile for you. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Mary Catherine, I have enjoyed this conversation so much. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. We appreciate all your time and your expertise and, um, and for you sharing all this great wisdom with us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. All right, guys, that's what we have for you today. Thank you so much for joining us as always. And I hope you have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Nourish Eat Repeat podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please rate, review, and share with others so we can reach and help more people. For more information about nutrition, how to work with a dietitian, or about any of our programs, visit our website at bodymetricshealth.com. You can also find us on socials. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Bodymetrics Health. The book Nourish Eat Repeat is available on our website and Amazon in both paperback and ebook versions. Once again, I'm Adrian Delgado, and I'll see you next week.